Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. beaming you from sydney today yeah if we sound a little different it's because we're we're different um jinxies in sydney i hopefully don't sound as bad as i have on previous week's episodes <laughs> you sound great i don't know what you're talking about no we, we try how are you how's your sydney weekend been i good just living that bi-coastal lifestyle that you know i love to do it's technically one co- oh no melbourne's oh. the bottom so i guess it's yeah like it's... 90 degree 90 degree angle coast <laughs> Yeah, okay, my, uh, my, I don't know. Yeah, look, it's an angle coast. You're in Sydney. I'm in Sydney. (laughs) Uh, It's really good. I just came here for the weekend um, to go to a beautiful uh, birthday dinner for my dear friend Melba at Lafoot. It was just fab and she looked glam as all hell, which I love to see. And did you have to cook your own dinner? I was not cooking my own dinner out the back. Somebody <laughs> did it for me, thank God. Great, great. Um, But I was going to say, I because it was the seating arrangements were done before I got there, and so I was sitting with some people, like closely with some people that I didn't really know, and mm-hmm. bless the housewives, because we talked nonstop for like three hours. <sighs> Perfect. <laughs> covering... Like Melbourne, Sydney, Beverly Hills, Salt Lake, New- like it was just okay. So they're they're good, the good kind of Housewives fans, aka they watch everything we do. Yeah, so that was um, right. that was great. I had such a good time. What else? Just had some little like 
family time. It was. Wait, sorry, we've skipped past the housewives. Oh. Any hot takes on uh, Angie K on uh, Kyle and Morgan? There was a lot of Kyle and Morgan chatter. It, I'm mm-hmm. I'm still kind of of the thought that. Like the Kyle's, God, we've gone straight into Housewives. I didn't actually mean to do that, but anyway. Um, I just want to know about your dinner specifically, Kyle <laughs> Morgan. <laughs> okay, the the conversation was very much about like are Kyle and Morgan actually together? And we mm-hmm. all agreed we actually disappointedly don't think so. Mm. Don't think they're in a sexual relationship. They are feeding each other quite a bit. Anyway, I watched the preview for this coming week's episode, Mm -hmm. which will be out by the time this episode is, and it opens with all the women packing to go to Spain and Sutton packing, like being pushed around on her suitcase by RV, her like beleaguered houseman. Oh, that was was also a big point of discussion on Saturday night. RV. They need their own reality show, I realised. I would watch Sutton doing hot yoga or hot Pilates, be aka just exercising in her house with the fireplace on. Like, I want to watch that every week. Okay, so in this preview, Jinxie, I don't want to spoil the episode for I mean, I've watched seven minutes on YouTube. He does have to fetch the ashes of one of Sutton's old friends who she is taking to Rome and just Avi walking around with purple gloves on and a Ziploc bag of a famous choreographer's ashes incredible anyway sorry that's the rest of your weekend tell me about it <laughs> no that's I mean, Arby and it. Sutton that's it. um what else uh it was so disgustingly hot here yesterday um went for a swim spent time with family um yeah on uh Saturday I kind of slipped back into my old Lizzie Bay Potts Point lifestyle I went to a new gallery uh Cassandra Bird it's in Potts Point directly opposite um, a cafe that used to be open pretty much 24-7 and you would go and order the special nachos and it wasn't just nachos. Um, So Sydney Times, just, you know, recalling fond memories. You say say nachos like a... Um, like a European or like an English person says tacos. (gasps) Oh, no. How do you say it? You say it. Nachos. Oh, what do, like it's what a, do I, I say, say? Like it's a plural. Like there's a singular nacho. You say nachos. Oh, nachos, nachos. Oh. Like Stavros. Yeah, I. I mean, at least I don't say nachos. I suppose. It's just fun to discover new things about each other. It's like when I told you that you say arble. I still don't hear it, but we never hear it in ourselves, do we? <laughs> Have I told you? Sorry, already off track. But um, my mother's friend used to say fachacha instead of fakacha. <laughs> And my mum would say, you know that you're saying for cha-cha. And she'd say, yeah, I'm saying for cha-cha. <laughs> and she thought she was saying for cha-cha. She heard for cha-cha coming in and out, but oh. she only ever said for cha-cha. <laughs> Someone very close to one of my parents, I won't say who, calls chorizo chisorio. And she's in Brisbane, so it's chisorio. And the Greek spinach pastry dish is spanakopitatita. Oh, I'm, I'm a little like, bit of a flourish at the end there. Three new syllables. <laughs> My sister and I say camillari, but I don't know why we do it. Anyway. What's that? Instead of calamari. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. 
Sister things. It's been good to sissy, to catch up. Sissy things. Yes. Yeah. Been good to do my Sydney sissy things. Um, while I am here, yeah, it's been it's okay. Been great. So new get new gallery across the Nachos place. Yes, because there we go, there we go. Uh, yeah, really new, like a really beautiful new space in a uh, terrace and. Um, our friend of the pod, Samuel Hodge, has uh, some really great, great new works there. So that was just delightful to go and um, see it. It was excellent. Yeah. Oh, lovely. So nice. Yeah. What about you, BL? Oh, I've been I've been getting out a bit more. Last week I was like, I'm boring. Um, I feel like I'm like, I don't think I was in a funk, but I'm definitely not in one now. I'm feeling like really level and like balanced in my life. Life, which is like novel a novel experience I'm like looking after myself in a way that I am very happy about I went out last week I went and saw Anatomy of a Fall which we're going to talk about uh, later in this episode and I want to hear about your movie trip recently Jinxie 2 but I've been on my pop star beat as always um had a well not pop stars but I had a profile on Slater Kinney that ran in the age and Sydney Morning Herald papers last week We'll link it in the show notes because I need to read it. We'll link it. Carrie and Corin's dogs were on the call, as was Carol. And so Carol has met uh, Slater Kinney now. I'm proud, a very proud mummy. And by the time this episode comes out, I will also have a little story and interview with Gracie Abrams, also up uh, in the Agent City Morning Herald. I went to her show last night. Jinx, you said it was so hot in Sydney. I was tights jumper like dressed and still a bit chilly going to the forum last night every single girl there had a bow in her hair and I really like missed the memo on Gracie as like hashtag coquette uh trend participant but mm. um that's a that's a thing that was really evident last night her the school she went to is called like the Archer yes. School for Girls or something yes. and I did see that and I thought do I need to listen to the music of someone who went to that school a jinxy i don't know if you do but they have a maypole oh because i decided to just click the blue link on her wikipedia page i was like what is the archer school for girls turns out a patron or like a alumni years and years ago donated a maypole to the school and asked that all sixth grade girls i think participate in a maypole every spring so like Am I going to ask her about that tonight when I interview her? A hundred percent. I just want to take my eat the rich comment back. If she went to a school with the Maypole, that was compulsory. I absolutely need to listen to that music. So yes, yeah. please. You you can skip over listening to like Phoebe Bridges and like um, Aaron Destiny era Taylor Swift and just listen to Gracie Abrams because okay. she's like the, they were the, she's like the end result of those two artists in a way, I think. We're not going to talk about the final Star Wars movie, uh, which is a good thing for her because I've got thoughts about her dad's work as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, we all do, yeah. don't we? We really do. Um, I went to, speaking of leaving the house, rare for me, I went to Boiler Room on Saturday <laughs> for one set. I, I spent more time on the public transport round trip there and back. Where is it? So it happens at this place in uh, Williamstown, like on the water. It's called, I think, Sea Works. I think it's like a mu like a nautical museum or something. I'm probably wrong, but there's like a pirate pirate themed cafe um, <laughs> okay, on the premises. Right, I'm in. 
that apparently people were trying to go to early in the day and the organizers of the event had to be like, no, you can't get your like uh, golden coins, which is like what they call chicken nuggets. <laughs> so I kind of want to go back on a day that Boiler Room is not on to um, to eat there. Maybe we could do a live show there. <laughs> that sounds great. I love a nautical restaurant, nautical bar. I mean, one of my favorite places, I think it's a little bit, done now but um hms bounty was this nautical bar in the bottom of the gaylord apartments in koreatown in la and friends lived in that building and it was just was amazing like when we'd stay there it'd be like you just pop down to the hms bounty downstairs but then i think like coco gordon had her party there or something and it all went to you know went tits up it went cool yep (laughs) um well williamstown famously is where the titanic restaurant is in melbourne what yeah, this which I was about to say. Hey, what? Hang on, what? Yeah, the Titanic-themed re- restaurant, which obviously we have in Melbourne, a place that the Titanic has no connection to. <laughs> it's like how we have an Elvis, um, like, gravesite in the cemetery. Oh, I do love that. Me too. My king. I also did some, uh, you know, mostly just looking at, like, young people, what they were wearing, like I did at the Gracie Abrams show at uh, Boiler Room. And there's this particular brand of like satchel bag that feels like it feels like crumpler messenger bags for Gen Z. It's called Freytag or Frytag. Yeah, it's around the corner from my house. Fugly. Well, I'm not into it. They are such a status symbol for like young people. It's kind of unreal. Yeah, I feel like I know I always see very cool looking people in there with their dogs because I walk past it like every single day. And um, I know lots of people who own it, but I don't understand it. But also, I guess it's just not for me. It's not for me. But I think I wonder if there's a thing because like the poppy Lissman, um, sat like crossbody little satchel bags are so aligned now to like mecca tweens like wearing mr winston or like white fox boutique like hoodies populisman bags and like i don't know what else they wear and and just going to buy their like drunk elephant at mecca <laughs> like i think maybe the fray tag are like no when you're 19 you don't wear poppy anymore and you wear fray tag i don't know this demographic so i'm gonna take your word for it well i only see young people kind of like lust putting them on wish lists on tiktok like what i really want this season is like a fray tag and i'm like dream bigger babe (laughs) but i know there's lots of trends that i was into that my parents or like people older than me were like oh all right do what you will well that sounds like a fun excursion yeah it was i think i was probably the only person at boiler room who had a meg wallitzer paperback in her bag but I might not have been. I don't want to. I don't want to generalize. I mean, you can't really fit it in a fray tag, can you? No, you can't. I fit it in my Sandy Liang by Bagu. Okay, all right. And no one really searches your bag if they see a novel. I found out. Good tip. That's a good tip, BL. Take it, whether you need that tip or not. You've got it. If you're smuggling a special nachos in your bag, just put a novel over the top. You're fine. You're good to go. Put a a 2005 uh, bestseller. Um, Okay, wait, can you tell me about your trip to the movies before we talk about several movies in a minute? Yes, but I also want to say I went to the Art Gallery of New South Wales this morning, took the morning off. How good. Leisurely. I know, right? Anyway, I saw the Louise Bourgeois show. If you're in Sydney, it's not an also-also because I've got too many other things to recommend, but 
like really you need to see this show it's so beautiful and I felt like I'd seen a lot of her work before and I think I have mm. but um just seeing it on mass was just quite quite extraordinary and I saw the Kandinsky show it was very good it was you know but next to the Kandinsky um show was this small much smaller kind of very considered survey of uh, Georgiana Horton's work she was a kind of spiritualist artist who was featured in that book that I recommended last year The Other Side uh, by Jennifer Higgy and after reading about her work and uh just the way she was very involved in like the spiritualist societies. It was incredible to see her uh, like actual work in person. I hadn't seen it before in this show right outside Kandinsky because essentially Mm. she was kind of, um, you know, they both worked with mysticism, but he of course extremely famous and that show was absolutely packed and hers was not so much, but Mm. Yeah, it was sort of like working in juxtaposition. Um, Yeah, anyway, so if you go into the art gallery and maybe you think you don't want to go to the Kandinsky show because you've seen it or it's too expensive or whatever, uh, go to the Georgiana Horton show. It's just outside of it and it's free. Anyway, Mm. it was really great. Mm. And so much of her work is owned by the Victorian Spiritualist Union. And so I think I've got a new Q1 goal. I've I've got to join up. You really do. That's your people. I've seen that um, Jennifer Higgy book pop up so much since you first recommended it. You were like trailblazing that one, Jinxie, oh. as per. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's the new Buddy Yellow kitchen. Was there <laughs> – oh, oh, it sure is. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. Trend forecasting. <laughs> See also. Back to more important pieces of art. Wonka. I saw Wonka. It was a really not a film for me. I thought it was a shade away from being terrible. Oh, I'm <laughs> shocked (laughs) I really wanted to like it I genuinely do love like Roald Dahl like everybody else and well actually I mean there are certain things about him you need to reconsider and ignore but um you know I love the the original film do not care obviously for the Johnny Depp version but uh no I just thought it was completely like illogical I couldn't I could not kind of just go with the buying into its sense of I think like for something to work it needs to have its own inner logic and you can be like I accept this but with this it was just like why can he's like I don't like there were just plot points of like he can already make chocolate that makes you fly and yet when he's older you see him do the fizzy lifting drinks that is I just look anyway I just couldn't do it I didn't buy Timmy yeah, that well, yeah, I think Timmy was miscast, but they they had one line that said like he's a he's a magician, and then he learned to like chocolate, and I was like that explains everything for me. But he's like he's not a magical character. I just was like this is I just the songs were bad. You were like they're not iconic, but the songs were forgettable. Like, can you name yes. a single song from it? No, that was my criticism. Is like I left like, but you still gave it five stars. I loved the movie. I didn't need the songs to be, I mean, I would have, it would have been better if the songs had been better, but yeah, like that was the thing. I left the cinema and I was like, I don't remember a single one of those songs. Like each one ended and I was like, all right. Yeah. And like the, like by actually putting in the original songs as well, you know, like if you want to view paradise, like 
touching, beautiful. But by putting that into the end of the film, it felt extremely Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. When I was mm. like, yes, seeing the real Elvis makes me feel something finally in this goddamn movie. And in Walker, yeah. I was like, yes, I do want to view Paradise. Yes, I simply am going to look around. But I was like, this is manipulative, babe. Yeah. And it also, like, it's it's a bold choice when it throws your film into such stark contrast as not being a not being anywhere near that. I mean, look, the original, there's nothing holds a candle to it, but I had a really fun time in Munka. Sure, and I know so many people who did, and I'm certainly not going to, you know, like it's, it is a, it's fine. I don't know. Just which It's fine. I, I just, Paddington 2 is a much better film. It is. I'm so excited for Paddington 3. Oh, absolutely. And like, I'm not going to hold Wonka against them, but I'm also going to hold Wonka against them. What about me? Are you going to hold it against me? No, because I really love it when we disagree on films because yeah. it doesn't happen that often, but it's been happening more recently. Yeah, I don't love a lot of stuff. Like I find little annoyances in almost everything, but I was like, oh, I'm in the mood for this. For sure. And it's also like if that gives you joy, BL, then I'm pleased. I don't want to no take. No guilty pleasures here. No guilty pleasures. No, no, I don't believe no. in them. No, no, no. Okay, something else that's been happening this week. I saw the news and was quite shocked by it. And I'm not, like, directly involved. But when I saw that Pitchfork was shutting down and moving to GQ, a men's magazine, I was really, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I was really surprised by this. And I've seen, like, a lot of people, a lot of critics and writers I know who have been pretty upset, like, outraged by it. And, BL, you've written for them before. So, like... I have been waiting to hear what your take is. Yeah. I mean, like speaking of contentious cultural products, um, <laughs> yeah, like I, I started contributing to Pitchfork like almost 10 years ago, like 2015, Jessica Hopper, who had been my, I mean, legendary music critic, but at that point had just been my editor at Rookie and she moved over there. She was um, an editor of the pitch, like the features uh vertical on pitchfork and was um heading up the pitchfork review which is like their print magazine and she just she was like i want you to shadow courtney barnett around melbourne courtney's first album hadn't even come out it was the first time we met and so like jess was really integral to like bringing in quite a lot of like non-male voices into pitchfork something that it is still kind of used as like you know people criticize it for being like a bro website or whatever and it hasn't been for a very long time but yeah there was she she spent years there like encouraging me to write about pop music and fan culture which I did for like a few years I I did a couple of reviews and like a couple of news pieces but like um those early pieces that I wrote when I was deep in my like one direction expertise era were like really pivotal to my career and like my understanding of my like critical voice and Jess also was like um she like in the little uh kind of like subhead that like advertises what the story is about she introduced me as critic Brody Lancaster which is a word that I would I don't think I would ever have applied that label to myself if she had not done that for me and I told her that I was like oh I've never called myself a critic and she was like no one does you know, I have to do that for you because you're not, I know that you're not going to do it for yourself, but that's what you are. And there was just a lot of, um, I think 
the people who have had experiences working for editors at Pitchfork have been really sentimental since this news came out because of things like that, because the people who really were making all of the big decisions there were like making choices to like bolster young writers, diverse writers, people whose ideas were not like straight down the line, you know, like Jill Mapes who took over um, the feature being features editor after Jess left was the same with me. I remember once she came to Melbourne and said like, Oh, we weren't sure about this idea, but we thought like if Brody's pitching it, like it, it must have legs or something. And I was like 26, you know, like that kind of encouragement just meant so much to me. Um, same with Mark Richardson, who is like a very revered pop critic worked for pitchfork for like almost 20 years until very recently. He's now at the wall street journal. Um, one of like a very small handful of like older, more experienced male editors, like actively encouraging and validating young writers. Like I did a uh, presentation with a couple of other young female writers at um, EMP pop conference in Seattle, like eight years ago. And I was like walking to get my nails done afterwards. And he like ran down a street and tapped me on the shoulder to tell me like, like just to, just to give me props for my work and like, did the same on email many times. And like when you're working kind of in a vacuum in Australia, especially as like a little freelancer, not really knowing what you're doing, it was, it just meant so much. And like, I decided a few years ago that like review, like record reviewing wasn't something that I would was going to spend my time doing because it's, it's so hard. And like, you would know Jinxie from like reviewing films. Like it just makes you look at work through like a critical lens. And it really was affecting my like, um, my enjoyment of music and the way that I approached new stuff and my discovery, but also because it's such a skill and like re- reviewing records is like pretty thankless a lot of the time. And like, it's so rare that people get it right and do it really well. And Pitchfork was like one of the truly the last remaining places to do that work in like a significant like way that had impact. And like the work that was being produced from Pitchfork was such, it was, I can't even, you might be listening to this being like, oh, like the call's coming from inside the house. You're being overly sentimental. But like the facts are that like I was, I had more thorough fact checking for like a 400 word EP review on Pitchfork than I've had for like a feature length cover story at print magazines. Like it was so thorough the the reviews editor Jeremy Larson sent th- sends this document when he accepts your pitch to review a record and it's like the tips that it gives you to like fact check your own work before you send it in is it's so thorough it made me such a better and more careful more thoughtful writer and I truly like the internet and the and like publishing would be such a better place if like everyone followed the kind of tips that he would give people but like yeah so Condé Nast we all kind of know acquired Pitchfork in like 2015. Uh, they kept doing really good work since then, and 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 with that kind of like oversight and like Anna Wintour, chief content officer at um, Condé Nast. You know, we hear about Anna's decisions every now and then, but usually she's like, you know, she's just up there in her office doing God knows what. But she, you know, she's sunglasses on in a conference room, like told people that the site was going to be folded into GQ last week and so many brilliant editors, including a couple that I've just mentioned have lost their jobs as a result. And it's just, it's such a shame. And like, 
seeing people, I've seen people, I've seen for the most part, I've seen people being upset about it or like sending condolences, but there have been some like celebrations or like really mean spirited kind of like, oh, serves you right. Cause you didn't like my favorite artist record or you reviewed my record bad, like really shitty cunty stuff. And like, sure, that stuff sucks. But like, we're all going to like, especially if you're an artist, no one likes being criticized, but like, we're all going to be worse off for the ab- absence of like having people who care enough about the work that you're making to listen to it, think about it, put it in like a cultural context, engage with it and like evaluate it on its merits. It, it's not saying it's good or bad. I like it or I don't like it. It's like getting to like the why and the reason for a record like that so little of this happens anymore and like you know I've been thinking a lot about like algorithmic gatekeeping and like human gatekeeping and stuff that that writer Kyle Chaker has a book out at the moment about algorithms that I'm really keen to get my hands on and so I think that's really like directed my thinking on this but like you know everyone's sharing on Instagram they're like don't tell me your star sign tell me your like curated Spotify algorithmic playlist name. And it's like lo-fi beats to like listen to on a Monday afternoon playlist is like not going to ever do what a review by like Shard D'Souza or Laura Snapes or like Julianne Escobedo Shepard or like any of like a, a number of like really significant writers can do and can engage with your music. And it's just fucking grim. It's really, it's a real bummer. Yeah, it is a real bummer. I don't read it a lot, but like I always, actually the one, it's a place that I go to to find out about reissues a lot because Mm. it's one of the few places that actually still covers uh, reissued uh, albums from like all different genres. And uh, like I love finding out about like albums, particularly from like the late 60s and 70s mm. that I'm not that familiar with. And that's kind of a lot of what I listen to. So, yeah, I did depend on it quite a bit for that. And it's yeah. just such a it's just such a shame. And like what you were talking about with like the algorithm and like, you know, the Spotify playlist, etc. They're not they're not doing the work of the critics, but they're also not doing the work of uh, like DJs and you know people mm. who have radio shows curators yeah you know my whole my job is that I'm a programmer so like I'm literally selecting films and having discussions with other curators and programmers about like how best to get these films yeah. seen it's yeah it's it's important work I don't I'm not like big upping myself I, I but I think it's it is no it is the democratization of criticism fine great everyone has a voice and everyone can share excellent but we still need the people who really put the work in and have the knowledge and, like, have that kind of, you know, decades-long, um, like, concentration of, like, listening to different albums and finding out mm-hmm. about, like, previous works and, like, what's making that artist tick and what they're trying to convey and, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. like I don't yeah. want it to become a lost art. And I wanted to ask the... New Yorker um, podcast, Critics at Large, which um, we talked about as an also also a couple of uh, episodes ago, they've got their latest episode is called The Case for Criticism. I haven't listened to it yet, but um, after talking to you about it, I'm going to listen to mm. it after this because they talk about 
like their own roles as critics. So yeah, yeah, it, it's a good chat, and it came out. I think it came out the day that the Pitchfork news dropped, so it was like really coincidentally timed. It was a great conversation, and they they talk a lot about criticism as a tool for like it doesn't tell you what the work is or necessarily just tell you what the artist does, but it it places it into a, a context and it tells you why it matters. You know, I saw it, I can't remember who it was, but I saw someone tweet something about like people have misunderstood or like in all the pitchfork condolences, people are misunderstanding. The role of criticism is not to tell you whether or not to buy a record or whether or not to invest your money seeing a film in the case of like movie criticism. It's, to tell you why the thing exists and what it's doing well and what it's what it's achieving or perhaps what it's not achieving and yeah it's just such a shame and like you know I love GQ like I, I read its profiles you know like we all love the Chris Black newsletter and you know but because of that because of the fact that like it does hours it puts a writer and an artist or a writer and a celebrity in a room together for hours and hours and hours and requires a lot of access GQ has to play nice with talent in a way that Pitchfork didn't have to. Jess Hopper shared a memory of like Drake was best new music on Pitchfork one day, the same day that the pitch ran a piece by Megan Garvey criticizing him, like the same day. And like it could do that because it wasn't beholden to Drake's whims. He's a very powerful artist. If he had decided I was going to give you an interview with me and now I'm not because you criticized me in this piece, like that's essentially what is being forecasted with this fold into GQ, let alone the fact that GQ is a men's publication and there has been so much work by like Jess Hopper, the the until recently the editor-in-chief Pooja Patel, Jen Pelly, Jill Mapes, all, the, all of these people who worked so hard to broaden Pitchfork's scope away from like music as men's interest or like the artists that we care about are men where the king making platform like indie indie music is a men's interest area like all of this stuff has been fought against for so long and it's it just feels like it's it's closed in on itself and they're like oh the music goes over to the boys now yeah do you is there another publication like online or in print that you go to still go to for specifically for the music criticism I think it's more that I follow writers wherever they go. And I mean, I like the sub stackiness of a lot of critics right now, but like I do really like having everyone under a banner at the same time, you know, but on that note, like I love reading like Laura Snape's in the guardian and Shard writes for the guardian. Um, Doreen St. Felix, who is a New Yorker um, television critic. Her, I didn't realize, but her first ever published piece was, um, this piece on Rihanna in Pitchfork and when the news of uh, Pitchfork folding into GQ came out, like the image of Rihanna in this like green fuzzy fur coat that like <laughs> accompanied that article was like the first thing that came to mind for me. It was this piece called The Prosperity Gospel of Rihanna and I'm going to link that in the show notes along with like a couple of other pieces, including one on The Atlantic about like how few places there are now to meaningfully engage with all of the music that's that's being released. Ezra Klein also had Kyle Chaker on his podcast recently and he wrote a piece about like what the end of Pitchfork kind of means in like a for the publishing industry and the news industry. But also if people are interested in some of the tension um, involved in that merger too, um, this writer Alison Hussey 
spent months reporting a feature for Pitchfork on how professional musicians who are mothers deal with the industry after they become parents. And so like, that's something that big question mark, if, if that were to ever be published in a men's magazine. You know? Sure. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Yeah. There are kind of much more kind of wide reaching effects of this rather than, you know, that bitchy websites going down, you know? Totally. Yeah. 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 Thank you for indulging me and letting me talk about Pitchfork for so long. But like uh, Jeremy Larson wrote one of my favorite reviews ever and I have memorized its opening line because it was so funny. He reviewed an album by the band Greta Van Fleet, who if you've ever seen them, they're kind of doing this like 70s pastiche. It's like they listen. It's like the darkness or like – I don't know, like they've listened to The Who a few times or Pink Floyd a few times and um, he wrote this. I was about to pull it up to make sure I quote it properly, but no, I remember it. The The review opens with Greta Van Fleet sounds like they did weed exactly once and then called the cops on themselves. <laughs> and it tells you everything you need to know about this like this like fake stoner rock music made by like 22 year olds yeah it does it does not for me yeah. i reckon anyway we love i love you pitchfork thank you for everything you should celebrate yourself every day but some days you should celebrate with jewelry whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Thing. Jinx, it's only a couple of weeks until our live show. Oh, my God. It's really coming up. It's creeping up. Uh, the highlight of Q1. <laughs> Very direct reminder, if you haven't bought your tickets yet, now's the friggin' time, baby. It is uh, for C also Al Fresco. It's our live podcast. It's happening at the Malt House Outdoor Stage at the Malt House Theatre. Tickets are on sale. It's happening Saturday 3rd of February 2024. Starts at 8 p.m., doors at 7, get there early, grab some drinks. We have a code for listeners so you get cheaper tickets, and that is see also alfresco, one word, lowercase. It'll be, we'll put it in the show notes. We'll put it everywhere. All the info's in the show notes. And, yeah, when you come along, you'll see not just Kate and I, but also Courtney Barnett, ever heard of her, Grammy-nominated Australian artist, and Stella Mosgawa, iconic, supported Romy. If you were listening on last week's episode, Jinxie wore a button up to the club, member of the band Warpaint. We love. We're obsessed. We love. And also they will have just done a completely sold-out show the night before at the Recital Centre. So it will be, if you missed out on tickets to that, come along to this. You still get to see them. 
It's a little encore performance, but with talking and not music. Exactly. And you want the banter. We want the banter. <laughs> That's what everyone goes to a Courtney Barnett show for. No music, <laughs> just talking. Just the chats. <laughs> I can't wait. It's going to be super fun. I loved our live show at the Wheeler Centre late last year, so it will be really fun. Me too. Uh, we're taking guesses of what signature cocktail I will force everyone to drink this time. See you there. Yeah, see you there. A film that just came out this week is Anatomy of a Fall. It won the Palme d'Or at Cannes last year. Amazing because the director is Justine Triette, who is only the third female director to win the Palme d'Or ever, which is hideous, Um, but well worth it. Like it's such a beautiful film. You You just saw this this week, right, or last week? Yeah, I saw it last week. There was like a little preview. Our international listeners hearing that there was a preview screening of this last week. Um, yeah, things trickle in slowly over here. Um, but yeah, I I went to see it last week and I was just, I mean, I'd heard only raves, you know, and so I went in with pretty high expectations, but it was such a, is it crazy to say it was such a f- fun movie to watch? You know, like it's... The tone of the film is very dark, but it's like it, it wears its subject matter and like the the death of it all very like lightly. And it, it's so gripping the dynamics at play with a, a couple who are living in a chalet in France in a very snowy part of. Do you remember where in France it is, Jinxie? I don't like a mountainous area, pretty isolated uh, with their son, Daniel, who is like maybe like 11, I'd say, like kind of preteen, who is partially blind. He's got his spray tag bag. Oh, no, he's Populistman. <laughs> Sorry, he's Populistman. <laughs> he's too young for spray tag. He has some very sleigh glasses on. And at the start, he's wearing them. And I was like, oh, mental note to talk about his like incredible glasses um, on the podcast. And then like 10 minutes later, they were like, oh, my dad put these things around the house so that I can because I can't see. And I was like, I didn't know he he was vision impaired. Mm-hmm. I just thought he was a kid with a very cool pair of mm-hmm. like snow goggles. <laughs> Do you know what? Um, I thought the same, Via. Yeah. Um, I've heard people kind of like chastise themselves for like not knowing he was uh, like partially blind. But I think I have a feeling we're suppo- we're not supposed to know. He's like, we meet him and he's like walking around a snowy mountain. Yes. He's, he's like... You know, he's got his sweet little dog, Snoop, uh, the Palm Dog winner. Sandra Hula plays a woman who's uh, one day she's at home, she's giving an interview, she's a well-known author, and her after the interviewer drives away because her husband has started blaring an instrumental version of 50 Cent's PIMP to drive them out of the house and end the interview unseen. We never see him until, you know, later on in flashback. And uh, by the time the son comes back from the walk with his dog, uh, his dad's body is at the bottom of the house and he's fallen to his death or been pushed, question mark. Mm-hmm. And that's not a spoiler, like, that's on the poster. Like it's... That's, the, that's the plot, babes. <laughs> that's the first five minutes of what is quite yeah. a lengthy film. So It's a very long film. And yeah. we're not going to do any spoilers for this film, no. so you can be happy, listen in peace, listen in a contented way if you haven't seen it yet. Um, but, yeah, it's it, it sets it up with this and then immediately becomes like a 
a trial like you know like she's taken to court and we are just thrust into the absolutely bonkers french courtroom um and she is a german woman whose french isn't quite as good as her german um or even her english and the we get to see kind of the struggle of um of her trying to understand the length the the it's not just like the french language but it's like french like judicial language like it's all yeah. legalese and she is struggling with it and they know it and it's like being used against her and mm-hmm. like it just is like you say it's just like in such an incredibly gripping film and at first I was like, oh, yeah, so far so normal. Like, okay, yeah, who done it? And then a courtroom. All right, all right. And then I just found, like, I could not look away. Like, it was yeah. just, it really gets your hooks into you and it's really just so nice to go and see an extremely adult drama. Yeah, and one that is, like, so verbal as well. Like you said, like, it plays with English language, German language, French language, but also it's, like, it's so written and spoke like it's it there's there's very little silence in this movie it there's like a lot going on and it's so riveting to just listen to people talk and like you said this psycho french court system where like a the witness is just standing in the middle of the room and like there's a judge and the jury are all just kind of hanging out together someone walks out of the room someone else follows like the defendant can be called on or like, you know, like what's it called? Cross-examined at any time. They just kind of go, and what did you think about that? And she's got to stand up and answer a question. It's wild. It is wild. And she gives such an incredible performance. Like Sandra Huller is like, what a year for her. Like she's so fantastic in Zone of Interest as well, which also oh. premiered at oh. Cannes. So like the whole of the Cannes Festival was pretty much just a Sandra Huller um oh. fast um but yeah she's so good in this but like the what I really loved about this was that it captured the kind of a relationship between two artists so well uh-huh. and that kind of like vying for att- not just like attention for their work but also time to do their work and yeah. also the like it really lays bare this like long-term relationship where you hear like the audio recordings that you hear of um different conversations and arguments that they've had uh during what you you know like you're having an argument with your partner or saying something stupid like I said stupid shit all the time to my partner and never would think that anybody else would would be able to hear it or like it would ever come back to bite me you know um and here you are in this film going like it's just it's just so raw like this yeah relationship is so raw I know there's yeah during the courtroom proceedings there's like this unraveling of information you learn about her career through like evidence like her books being used against her like hints and clues in their dynamic and the relationship with their child and with France itself, like living the choice to live there. Um, but yeah, there's this audio recording that is played. And when it was being played, I was like, won't someone mention the fact that he knew it was being recorded. So he was performing for the, you know, for some imagined audience or like putting on some kind of show where she didn't know she was being recorded. And then someone like brought that up and I was like, great. Thank you, Justine. Thank you. That it was very important to me. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, just like you said, time and like weaponizing time against one another and, um, you know, what certain people in a relationship sacrifice and like the ugly shit that comes up that, you know, so often is either unsaid or said in like only moments of like really fraught tension. Um, it's just extraordinary. It's so, it's so good. And it also, um, isn't it wild how it kind of doesn't matter whether she killed him or not? Yeah, it doesn't really matter who done it. If he done yeah. it, she done it, the kid done it, the dog done it. Like it does not really matter at all. Yeah. I think it's what it makes it stand out from other like procedural films of like just being in this courtroom but actually what is being said and what is coming out is far more gripping than the actual death that we saw at the beginning of the mm. film. It's mm. it's just such a great drama. Did you ever watch um, The Night Of, the Riz Ahmed series on HBO? No. It had this like truly brilliant first episode that ends with a woman's death, a woman's murder, and Riz Ahmed, who is a taxi driver, you've spent this whole night with him where he like – tells one passenger like sorry I'm off for the night my lights off and then lets this woman get in his car and then he stops for gas here and then he drives here and then this happens and then why did you go inside and then this and that and so like by the time this woman is murdered and he's accused of her murder everything that has happened up until then you've obviously watched being like oh no this is going to look really bad oh no this is going to be used against him oh fuck why did he you know he let this woman in his cab, but he didn't let men in the cab a minute earlier. And you, you're doing the same thing because, like you said, like the plot is that this man is dead. And so when the film starts and he's in the house and he's alive and there's like an interview being recorded and then it's not recorded anymore, I was like, oh, the clues. These are all the clues. Yeah. It's really a film that I think people will be tempted to wait for streaming for because it is lengthy and they're going to be like, oh, it's just a courtroom film. Really see it in the cinema because you do not want any distractions in this. No, you also don't want to – you want to look at this idyllic, snowy countryside that is like a prison for Sandra Hula's character on a big screen. It's beautiful and it's chilling and she's just – oh, my God. I have never – I don't think I'd seen her in anything before this or The Zone of Interest, but I'm now like – I'm, my eyes are peeled for Sandra Hula. Oh, yeah. She's she's incredible. She's amazing. Love Sandra. Incredible. Love Sandy incredible. H. Absolutely. Um, do you have any also-alsos for Anatomy of a Fall, Jinxie? Um, just that I would recommend seeing, obviously, Zone of Interest when it comes out. But um, another film that Sandra Hula was in it was the first time I saw her. And if you missed it, um, it came out in 2016. Uh, it's called Tony Erdman. And if you've missed it, like, run, don't walk. Like, you need to see this film now. It is such a incredible, like, dark, absurdist comedy about um, a very straight-laced woman who has a kind of madcap kind of father who essentially she believes that he is kind of out to ruin her life. It's so great. Have you seen it? No, I missed it. I remember the time that it was out, though. I saw trailers for it, like, every time I went to Nova. But for some reason, it never it never kind of, like, lured me in. All right, I've got to see Tony. Mm-hmm. A fun bit of trivia, uh, Milo Mercado Greener, who plays Daniel, the son, um, he's so, per- like, such a brilliant little freaky sweet actor. But Justine Triette, 
I think he must have auditioned verbally only. She heard an audio recording of him auditioning for the film and um, compared it to Henry Thomas's audition tape for E.T. He's so Henry Thomas and he's also so Danny from The Shining. Yeah, yeah. My only also also is another film about a dueling writer couple, The Wife, the 2017 film with Glenn Close and Jonathan Price based on the novel by Meg Wallitzer. Take the novel to Boiler Room if you if you choose. <laughs> Both are great individually and also together. <laughs> I haven't read the book and I haven't seen the film, so I got double duty on that. Oh, I, from memory, they're both quite short, like really easy weeknight movie. Music to my ears. It's also also time, BL. We are going to recommend a couple of things to each other and to you, the listener. What's your first one? My first one is Vinyl from the band Dry Cleaning. They're reissuing their first two EPs, which are called Sweet Princess and Boundary Road Snacks and Drinks. Uh, they're coming out on a double vinyl. I adore this band. Coincidentally, Sweet Princess was the first uh, review I ever wrote for Pitchfork, and it's such a great EP. It put me permanently in love with this band. Um, it opens with a truly incredible song called Goodnight, whose lyrics are ripped by the uh, vocalist and songwriter Florence Shaw from insane YouTube comments. Um, you know how people get really confessional and mm-hmm. like strange and, and tell their life stories in YouTube comments. She's, she wrote a song using them. Um, it includes one of the funniest lines of any song ever. Um, and I have the tab open for this Bandcamp purchase for when I have a little more disposable income very soon. Pay your invoices, everybody. Jinxie, what's your first one? My first also also is to recommend that people pay Brody Lancaster. Thank you. My first one is a show that we've both been loving. I cannot wait to watch episode two this evening. It's the new season of True Detective Night Country. I have never watched True Detective before. They are standalone uh, seasons or series, so it doesn't matter if you haven't seen this. You can just go straight in and then work your way backwards if you need to. And this one stars Jodie Foster, our queen, with Carly Ray. I think. Her, not Carly Ray Jepsen, but Carly Ryle is her name. She's great. Never seen her before. She's great. Uh, Christopher Eccleston and my love, John Hawkes, who you just don't see enough in film or TV. I love him. Love him. Anyway, look, it's a spooky, spooky nighttime drama in Alaska. That's it. What more can you want? We're going to be having a full True Detective combo at the end of the season so we can talk about it in great detail. So you got to keep up and watch every week and you're welcome. My next one is uh, a watch also. Uh, there's a Yorgos Lanthimos retrospective coming up at the Europa Europa Film Festival. I'm really excited to see Dogtooth again. We chatted about it a little in our Poor Things discussion a few weeks ago and I saw it when it played at MIF, I think, probably like 15, 16 years ago. Um, I've also never seen The Lobster. It's not on streaming and I missed it in cinemas. So I was going to pirate it and now I'm going to go see it at the movies. And yeah, so if you're in Sydney or Melbourne, the Europa Festival is screening at the Ritz in Randwick, Classic Cinemas in Elstonwick, uh, my new fave, and Lido in Hawthorne, long-term fave, from Feb 15 to March 11. 
Yeah, I'm really excited because they're playing Kinetta, which I think is his mm. first feature. came out in 95. I've never seen it. So hard to see. So really excited to see that in a cinema. My next one is a SodaStream alternative. It's called oh. Bubble because uh, I think a lot of people were using, that I know were using, like an alternative to the SodaStream canisters already. I can't remember what it was called, but it's like out of business. Anyway, there is a new company from Australia. They do recycle your old SodaStream canisters as well, but they also do delivery. They drop mm. off pickup and it's cheaper than the SodaStream mm. canisters. It's called Bubble and uh, you just go to bubble.delivery. I've just placed my first order. So excited about that. So easy. Oh, so bubbly. <laughs> My last one is a new newsletter for us to all subscribe to. It's by the fashion writer Liana Satinstein. I have followed her for many years. She was a senior Vogue writer or editor for like a decade. And now she is professionally cleaning closets. You might remember the Chloe Sevigny closet sale that she organized featuring Mickey Boardman, Lynn Yeager, Sally Singer. Um, but that uh, process of cleaning out people's closets has brought her into the world of a man called Max who lives in Chicago and the saga of her cleaning out his closet for the last week has consumed my weekend. I have watched every second of their posts and stories together. Max is a former professional poker player and a man who buys a lot of clothes and a lot of those clothes are carrot themed. He also <laughs> eats several pounds of carrots a day. His body is coursing with beta carotene. Um, and despite what it sounds like, he's really cute. Like people are obsessed with Max and like want to date Max and like want this to be like a rom-com. She's married, but, uh, <laughs> Jinxie, he buys such incredible stuff. He has like the row jumpers with like tags still on. He's got like a dozen elder statesman pieces. He's like also a lot of merch from pokerstars.com and he has real <laughs> theories on like the de-evolution of the pokerstars.com logo. And so now because they've done a sale in New York, they drove for days driving all his stuff. She helped him cleanse his closet and they're now selling all his offshoots. So now all these like hot trendy New York girls are walking around in pokerstars stars. <laughs> Um, anyway, that saga on her Instagram introduced me to her newsletter, Never Warns, and she has a couple of uh, recent issues of the newsletter that are about Max in which he goes into things like, um, you know, insights on time versus money, spending on fashion, being addicted to like alerts on eBay because I never know if I'm going to find this thing again. And the ROI of like buying on sale, he can never resist a, an essence sale, etc. It's really fun, and like, I'm very into Max. I might have left a comment offering to bake myself into a carrot cake for this <laughs> carrot obsessed, hot, weird man. I didn't know that there could be two carrot men. I mean, we've Melbourne has we've got our own carrot man, a man yeah. who, if you're not from Melbourne. He just wanders around the inner north mostly. I only ever see him in the inner yeah. north with a very, very large paper mache carrot. It's always there. Yeah. Max is hotter. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, <laughs> my last one is what you could use before you go on your first date with Max. Uh, it's the Philips Steam and Go Plus. I oh. despise ironing. I hate it. It is my least favorite domestic chore. And so I just don't ever do it and have quite wrinkled clothes. That's fine. Um, Miyuchi loves it. It's okay. But 
I recently uh, finally got a steamer because you need, sometimes you'd need to. It's quite obvious. And I brought it with me this trip. I've actually I bought it so that I could travel with it for like events and just never have done that. And I did it this time and it was so good when I had to like make sure that I was dressed up for my glam friend's birthday dinner. I could go wrinkle free. You look very crispy. Thank you. I've seen it on, like, I paid too much for it, but I've noticed that normally it retails for, like, 150 or something, but I've noticed online, in Australia at least, you can get it in the, like, about $89 everywhere on the internet at the moment. So highly recommend. It's like you do have to replace the, like, the bad reviews that you read. I did heaps of research before buying it. You do have to replace the water in it quite often. Like you can probably only steam, say, two silk shirts or something um, before you have to refill it. But that's a small price to pay. Yeah. For portability, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. As always, if you want to follow us, you can do that on Instagram at See Also Podcast. We're also on Patreon. If you want to give us about eight bucks a month, you'll get ad-free episodes. We've got a few bonus ones coming up and there's like a nice little list of things that you can already listen to if you go over and sign up. And we'll see you very soon, of course, at our live show at the Malthouse Outdoor Stage. It's called See Also Alfresco. It's happening Saturday 3rd of February. We're very excited about it. And uh, thanks, as always, to Samuel Hodge for our imagery and Harvey Sutherland for our original theme music. See ya. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.